All right. Thank you for for joining with me and and praying for Mr. Lester and the Scots. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to two places. Turn to Ephesians chapter two, and when you get there, hold your place marker. Place your place marker there, and then turn uh, to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. <clears throat> we have been in a series uh, over the past few weeks. I call it series, but really kind of a new thought process, a new direction, if you will, realignment for us as a church where we have been talking about uh, being a gospel-driven church and what that looks like and why that's the way and why, you know, uh, why it's the best way. And so if you, I don't have time necessarily, what I've been doing is I've been spending about 20 minutes going back to what we already talked about and giving myself 15 minutes to talk about 35 minutes worth of talk. And so I'm not going to do all that. And so you can go uh, to our website and get those and listen to those sermons. But this morning, I want to continue what we talked about last week when we began talking about how the gospel creates, instructs, and empowers community. Uh, I felt like I couldn't stand up here and preach on community and not get the community to wrap their arms around Felita because that'd be hypocritical uh, at that moment. And so, uh, anyway, so last week we talked about how the gospel, we looked at the church of Acts 2. By the way, let me tell you how Felita told us about that this morning. Uh, So we have uh, every morning the band usually starts getting here about 7, and then they have a run through at 8, and they do a run through, and then about 8.45, 8.50, there's a little meeting to kind of talk about a few things, pray or whatever. And then we do that, and then Fleeta just all of a sudden starts talking about how Lester's at the hospital, and they think that he had a stroke. And we were like, hey, he's just going to sniper us with that real quick. Like, anyway, and so uh, I, was like, what? I was thinking, what are you doing here? Um, but she's here. She, uh, she felt as if she should be here. Uh, and so continue to pray. But anyway, we... We looked at Acts chapter 2 and how the gospel took a people group or people uh, who were were Jews. Um, They were there in Jerusalem for uh, the religious customs, the Passover. Uh, They had been there for a little while. Uh, And then in a moment, uh, the gospel was preached. People believed were baptized. In an instance, these people who were strangers became family. Uh, they became one. They became uh, one because of the gospel. We saw the gospel creates a community. We talked about how it instructs community, empowers community. And when I think about the word community, uh, I think about that was one of the reasons why Ashley and I ended up here at Cross Point in the first place. Uh, we, uh, we had come, you know, most of my church experience has been in the more traditional setting uh, of, you know, and there's been great, I've had great community in different places and different, some of my best friends today are still friends that I had from Salem Heights and, and things like that and other churches that I have been a part of. But whenever, we're, from an outsider, when we were looking into Cross Point, and we just saw how much fun the community had and just how much it was a family. Uh, and then it was because of our friends that we had is the reason we ended up here. Uh, we were praying about going anywhere. We literally pretty much gave the Lord a you know, blank check, per se, and said, we'll go wherever you want us to go. Uh, she had just come off the mission field in Sri Lanka. We talked about, you know, should we go overseas somewhere? Should we? And the reason we ended up here is because of community, because uh, the people that we like to do life with. Uh, and so 
uh, hear it. And for you, you have some of that same story of the community that you have here. And you feel there's a family feel here at Crosspoint. I love the fact that when one is down, the others are there to pick them up. Or if they can't pick them up, they just get down with them right there. And they just hang out there for a moment. I love uh, when we get to pray for one another. Uh, here at Crosspoint, we want people to experience the life-changing power of the gospel. And we want people to come know and love and enjoy Jesus and become a kingdom catalyst. These are words that we use. And one of the ways that we believe as a church that that happens is by being able to get connected into a gospel-centered community. Because the reality is, is that for the church, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, those who have been redeemed, the, 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 the depth or the level of community that the church can experience is one that you cannot find anywhere else in the world. Did you realize that the community of the brethren, the, the brothers and sisters in Christ, that community is an eternal community? It's one that the grave does not break up. It doesn't end at the grave. It continues forever. So whenever you and I begin to invest and begin to uh, develop deep community within the body, we are cultivating a relationship that will last for eternity. It's different than any other community that the world offers. And as a church, when we're thinking about gospel centrality and we think about gospel being gospel driven, what, what we'll come to see is that being gospel centrality, what it will begin to do, it will, it will begin to nurture a culture of grace. That whenever the gospel is being preached, whenever we are constantly on a steady diet of the gospel, there will be this culture of grace that, that begins to be nurtured or continues to be nurtured. When we began this series, we've done it a few times, we talked about these five metrics of grace that, uh, that Jonathan Edwards had written that a guy named Jared Wilson kind of made it easier for us to understand. It's in a book called The Gospel Driven Church. I'm not going to walk through all of those metrics again, but these are ways to see. Jonathan Edwards wrote, whenever there's a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, these are the five things that you'll be able to see. There'll be five things. And the fifth one was that there would be an evident love for God and neighbor. If the Holy Spirit is moving among the people of God, that there will be an evident love for God and neighbor. That's a fact. Why? Because God is love. And the reality is for the church, within the church of Christ, there is no, no room for hate. There is no room for di even dislike that whenever the, 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 the people of God are, are being led by the Spirit of God, being fed by the Word of God, that we will love other brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no place for hate within the church. And we have a steady diet of the gospel. This culture of grace begins to be fostered. How does the gospel impact our community? How does the gospel impact it? Because the reality is, is that we understand the community is great. The idea of being able to do life with other human beings who love Jesus, that is a great thing. But you know what else it is? It's a hard thing. 
It's a difficult thing. Like, ideally, I would love to say we love Jesus and everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns after that, that everything's just going to be perfect. We're never going to get in arguments. We're never going to disagree with one another. We're never going to have to call one another out. We're never going to have to just, there's not going to be any awkwardness. But the reality is, is that's not true. Arguments happen. Disagreements happen. There's ill words. There's words that come out from our mouth that, that we cannot give back. But the reality is in the gospel, it empowers us to love. It empowers us to forgive. It empowers us to listen, to bear with, to exhort, and to challenge. When the gospel is steadily consumed, the capacity to love our neighbor naturally increases. When we remember God's love and forgiveness for us, then we are moved to do the same for our brothers and sisters. The gospel, as we talked about last week, is bigger than just the individual's one individual's personal experience. That the gospel's purpose is to create a people. But what we see today in a lot of churches in the United States is this pragmatism approach to church, which means just if you do this, 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 and then this, this, this will happen. Build it and they will come. If you just, you know, stop preaching the gospel and start talking about a, a moral theism, if you will, just be a better person and tell people, hey, three steps and this will make your life better. That's what we began to do, and, and what happens is, is for the sake of crowds, the church begins to switch that direction. And when we do this, whenever we begin to cater for the individual personal worship experience, and the church is built and designed for that moment, one of the issues in the church is like that is that it fosters individualism. And what happens is, is usually if, if the church is built upon my need, and then reality is, is then I don't have any really desire to grow in my relationship with Christ. Christianity becomes, I want to come and experience a feeling or an emotion on a Sunday morning, but that has no impact on the way that I live my life throughout the rest of the week. But when the church is driven by the gospel, it doesn't just cater to self-centeredness. Rather, it challenges, it confronts, it enables, it instructs. The reality is, we don't like that type of church. We want to go to a church that I don't have to think about my issues. And if I do have issues, then it's not a big deal because love wins. I don't have to keep, I don't have to stop sinning. I can live how I want to. That's all that, listen, I understand the idea of being almost going back to a lot of orthodoxy within the church isn't the most popular thing to do in 2021. And, but I feel like it's, it's the thing to do. Now, it's not the thing to do. It, it is the only thing that I, we are called to do as the church. Uh, and so I understand that I'm... I'm not the most popular person, and the direction we're going doesn't necessarily seem fun, but I ain't worried about fun. I'm worried about getting us to where God wants us to be and has called us to be. Because the reality is, in 2021, you can have the church, a First Baptist Church, whatever your name is. 
Oh, if, if you like so-and-so's worship, then at 10 o'clock you can join on, on Facebook Live and listen to the worship, but you don't really like the preacher, so you can go to somebody other church's Facebook Live at 1030, uh, and then you start listening to their... You can have whatever church you want in 2021. It's up to you. What's happening is the church is being filled with more and more people who have no desire to change or follow Jesus... They just want to weekly pick me up, leave it at the door when they walk out or when they change out of their pajamas. And so a, the question that I'm pondering right now is in the context of that, in that culture, I'm not saying that's cross but in the, the church culture in the world, how do we inspire people to want to change? How do we inspire people to desire to actually follow Jesus, to live in radical obedience and sacrificial generosity. How can we inspire people to do that? How do we inspire people to die to their self daily and follow Jesus? How do we get people more excited about loving their neighbor than being catered to? The gospel has the power to change that. The gospel is perfectly equipped to nurture and empower its own implications. I want to say that again because I think it may come up on the screen. The gospel is perfectly equipped to nurture and empower its own implications, including the desire in Christians for gospel-centered community. Man, we have, do have a great community here at Crosspoint. It's like I said, it's one of the reasons I ended up here. I didn't come here because God had called me to be the pastor. I came here because I just wanted to be a Crosspoint. And then it just happened, God called me to be a pastor once I got here. It's usually the other way around for preachers, by the way. Um, but I don't want us to experience just a baseline community. I desire for us to experience at the deepest level, at a place that only God and his gospel can take us. I have a question. Do you have the desire for biblical community? The gospel creates a desire for community. Check this out. When the believers take it seriously and apply the implications of the gospel. It doesn't just happen. That's for all of us. There's a deep desire that God gives us to be with his people. There's a natural, I feel like maybe if, girl dad, Moana, she has this calling to go into the ocean. Like there's, a, there's a calling in every child of God to, 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 to be a part of, of, of God's people. It's there, but there's still, it still takes for the, for the believers to take that seriously and to apply the implications of the gospel. It doesn't just happen. That's true for all of us, individually and corporately. For reality is for the believer, grace must be fleshed out for us all. It, you know, he puts, God puts all of what, all of righteousness within, he places all of himself within, the, the rest of our life is working that, fleshing that out. The Christian life and community, it requires intentionally applying the gospel. Before long, it will eventually be a naturally reflexive. 
and becoming intentional about fleshing out the implications of the gospel, I understand it is a supernatural work when the believer fleshes out their faith and fleshes out grace in life by the power of the Spirit when they're applying God's Word into their hearts, minds, and lives. In Acts chapter 2, what we see is that the gospel that made the church shaped the church. How does it do this? How does the gospel develop a collection of individuals into a gracious community that takes the deep love of God seriously? If you walk through scripture, there's a series of one another's, how the gospel is instructing us how to live one another. It takes you and I learning to apply the gospel in our lives. And this is what is called discipleship. Learning, if you want to put a definition on discipleship, it is learning to apply, imply, sorry, learning to apply the implications of the gospel in our lives. And you cannot, the reason I started with community to segue to discipleship, because I do not believe you can separate the two. Discipleship, listen to me, this is good. Discipleship gives our community its order and its depth. Like it is the, the discipleship teaches us the confines, the purpose, the depth, as in the gospel instructs this community in a way that I will forgive you when you wrong me. I'm not just going to bounce to another church. Like the gospel, it, it, it sinks roots in and defines what community is. The reality is, listen to me, we need help learning to apply the implications of the gospel. I need help in knowing how to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That is an implication of the gospel. How do I know that? Because it says, love your wife as Christ loved the church who died for her, right? I can't do that. I need help to be able to love that lady right there. We need help in doing and performing and living out, fleshing out what the gospel's done in our life. I need help knowing to how to love God and to love others. This church, the church, must be a place that facilitates in Christ-likeness, facilitates growth in Christ-likeness. A church that emphasizes evangelism over discipleship has not entirely understood the purpose of the church. I asked a question last week, where is the primary place of evangelism? I'm going to tell you the answer, and I'm going to answer it later too. It's not right here. Continue with Matthew 28, verse 18. This is a familiar passage to, to many people. This is what we are known as the Great Commission. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He is one, it is finished, it is done. He's before he ascends onto into heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father. He commissions his disciples, and this is what he tells them in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pause for a moment. 
Maybe I just need to remind you this morning, whatever you're walking through, that Jesus says here that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. He holds all power, heaven and earth. There's nothing that happens without his knowledge and his will. Like it, it, he is completely sovereign and providential in every area of our lives. I just need you to, I need to remind somebody this morning that all authority has been given to Jesus. Verse 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, here's the catch, teaching them to observe all, if you have, a, if you mark in your Bible, underline the word all there. Observe all that I, underline I there, have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Time out. Here's the second thing. This isn't even in my notes. I need to remind you that all authority has been given to Jesus, but I also need to remind you that he is with you always to the end of the age. Has nothing to do with discipleship. Has nothing to do with the community. I just need to remind you that all, all power is his, and he's with you even to the end of the age. Somebody needs to be told that this morning. So, this is the Great Commission. If you were to ask most pastors what was the, what's the purpose of the church, they would probably answer the, answer the question with make disciples. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. Yet, when you look upon the church's landscape throughout the United States, there is a discipleship deficit within our churches. And I really want to know why. I don't know all the whys, but we're going to talk about some of those this morning. When we look at the Great Commission, and I want you to see this, the Great Commission is not just our evangelistic motivation. It is also our discipleship comprehension. When he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then he also says, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. It's not just uh, an evangelistic Excitement, but it's also the comprehensive idea of what a disciple is. So, three truths about discipleship this morning from the Great Commission. And actually, these three truths can actually deepen our community as well. The community that we love, the community that we long for, uh, it will deepen those as well. And so, three truths about discipleship according to this passage. I'm just going to give you all three of them, then we will walk through them. Number one, discipleship empowers faithfulness to Christ. All right, when we're talking about discipleship within the church, the aim, number one, is to empower faithfulness to Christ. Number two, discipleship ensures the witness of the church. And number three, discipleship expands the glory of God. Number one, discipleship empowers faithfulness to Christ. The goal of discipleship is to lead to a greater faith in Jesus. It's not just to fill our heads with knowledge. It isn't just to say that we have so-and-so and so-and-so in these classes. The goal of discipleship is to lead to a greater faith in Christ. Notice he says, teach them to observe all that who commanded, that I commanded. The purpose of discipleship is to see followers, disciples of Jesus. The commission is to make disciples, disciples of who? Who are, the, who are they disciples of? Are they disciples of Justin or of Crosswood? No. All observe that all that I have commanded. That being Jesus. 
What happens is, is when we put all of our eggs in the basket of a one-time moment, whenever everything about Christianity is watered down and boiled down to this moment where we ask Jesus into our hearts, then we lose sight of the eternality of conversion. When someone is born again, the scripture says they become a follower of Jesus, a student. When you look at the disciples, they had a three and a half year journey with Jesus as his disciples. And it continued even after his ascension. The goal of discipleship is not primarily education about Christ, listen to me, but devotion to Christ. Education is important. When you think about discipleship, maybe in your mind goes to like discipleship training and things like that. If you went to a church that has Sunday night church, usually Discipleship training happened at those churches. But the the goal of discipleship, according to this, is not primarily education about Christ, but devotion to Christ. We want people to follow Jesus. The gospel makes Jesus the Lord of our life. Discipleship aids in keeping him there. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Here's the invitation to Christ. In Scripture, we don't ask Jesus into our lives. He invites us into his. He is the Lord. The gospel empowers, listen to me, and the gospel empowers obedience to that Lord. Discipleship is about faithfulness, empowering faithfulness to Christ because the gospel makes him Lord of our life. And that same gospel will empower us to obedience and following Jesus. And so I asked the question, well, why is someone not following Jesus? And definitely, these are one of those moments as a pastor that uh, I'm just going to go ahead and ask for Forgiveness right here, right now. Uh, but we begin to ask the question, if someone claims to be a follower of Jesus, they would associate and being a Christian, yet they are not following Jesus. There is no indication in their life of a desire to, to obey Christ, to live for Christ, to live for his glory. What's going on? Only one or two things are going on. The positive side, which is negative, but the more positive side would be maybe they haven't been discipled. Maybe, some, maybe they haven't been discipled and they need help fleshing out the gospel implications in their life. Or number two, they do not know Jesus. They have not experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. Because right here in Bible, Mississippi, I think some of the most dangerous places are within the four walls of a church. Because there are people who come to church week in and week out. They come and they sit down in their chair. They checked it off. And then from Sunday at one o'clock in the afternoon to Saturday or till Sunday, the next Sunday at 930. There is no desire to follow Jesus. There's no desire to grow and walk in obedience. I'm not saying, per- listen, we're not going to walk in perfect obedience. We will have a stumbling obedience. We will trip over ourselves, but there is a, there's a, there's a desire 
Yet, our churches are full, especially here in the Bible Belt, of people who claim Christianity, yet Christianity has nothing to do with their life on a weekly basis. That is a dangerous, scary place to be. And I love you too much to allow you to continue without me pumping the brakes for a moment. Discipleship empowers faithfulness to Christ, a fidelity to Christ, loyalty that is made evident in faithfulness to Christ. The gospel, listen to me, we are not perfect, but and God, through the gospel, gives us a desire to follow Jesus and to walk in obedience to him. This morning, I want to ask you a hard question. Are you confident that you're a follower of Christ? Has he placed within you a desire to know him, love him, enjoy him, follow him? If not, then I, I wouldn't just go out here hoping that I'm gonna be okay till the next week. The aim of our church must be faithfulness to Christ over all things. Number two. Not only does discipleship empower faithfulness to Christ, but discipleship also ensures the witness of the church. Anytime Barna, Gallup, or Lifeway put out polls about theological beliefs among confessing evangelicals, it gets even more sad. Every year if they put out something, there's a slippage in the affirmation of the basic tenets of Christian orthodoxy. There are fewer people today that, that, call, that call themselves Christians. There are fewer people, people who actually believe that Christ is the only way for salvation. Fewer people within the church are, believe that there's actually a real hell. They, they're, they're not accepting the infallibility of the word. You probably saw it on Facebook this week, the church in Nashville, where the pastor says the Bible is not the word of God. That is more and more evident within the church. Churches are being driven by moral relativism and therapeutic religion, consumeristic pragmatism. Our nation is becoming less Christian, but listen to me, so are our churches. We see more and more in our day that the ideals of culture are being placed in the center of the church rather than a biblical text. We see the text, when the text is used, it's used to serve an agenda. Notice that when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. All of it. A discipleship deficit has a, what we see is discipleship, a discipleship deficit has huge implications on the integrity of the church's theology and authenticity. What I see a lot in our churches today is that we are driven by the, the spirit of the age, as scripture warns us, like whatever the hot topic is in, in tied culture, that's what we're kind of driven by, and that's what we want to talk about. Whatever's popular to talk about. Yeah, Jesus says, teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. First Timothy 4, 16 
says, keep close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. Persist in this, um, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In Acts chapter 2, we see this awesome picture of a church, of culture, of grace. They loved each other. They sacrificed one another. But may we not forget that first they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. In Ephesians chapter 2, I think I told you to flip there. In Ephesians 2, just watch this progression uh, as we begin reading in verse 14. I believe it's going to come up on the screen. Just watch this progression of this personal individual salvation to how it moves from that to these interpersonal relations uh, all the way down to how, the, how this, this teaching, this, this doctrine, if you will, comes about. So verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, and so making peace. That he might, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What we see because of the gospel is that there's first, there's a reconciliation to God, but then there's a reconciliation to others. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, so check this community here. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. And the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for or by God's spirit. Did you see that? What happened? He says, you're no longer stranger and aliens, but you're, 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 you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, and you're being built on the foundation of the apostles. You know what the foundation of the apostles were? The gospel. And connecting the Old Testament prophecies of who Christ was, to how, how he fulfilled them. It was about the gospel. That's what anchored their community, if you will. Doctrine matters. Discipleship matters. Because we live in a day that my faith can be anything that I want it to be. I can pick and choose what I want. I got some homework for you. Uh, many of us, we want the Jesus that, that heals people in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, but we don't want the, Matthew, the Jesus of Matthew chapters 5 through 7 who gets in our business. We take anything that is uncomfortable to us and we label it legalism. It's no surprise that large numbers of people in churches are okay with setting the Bible to the side to affirm the cultural norms of modern heresies. The reality is we have to be led to die to ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow. We need to be discipled in that way. If we want a strong church that can weather the challenges of our increasingly post-Christian culture, then we must take discipleship seriously here at CP. Go to Europe. I see a post-Christian culture. And if we want a church that's going to survive this post-Christian culture thought process of the United States, but then we have to take discipleship serious. This pandemic has created almost a purge, if you will. I think that and there's going to be some issues. Obviously, there are going to be 
uh, things that happen and, and this caused some issues, but also I think the church, I think God in a sovereignty, maybe if the church is gonna become, I say church like this, in number, it's gonna maybe become smaller, but it's gonna become healthier. I believe that's one thing that God's gonna use with enemy for bad. You know, I think he's going to redeem even those things. Discipleship teaches everything Jesus commanded, not just what is appealing or popular. Number three, and I'm done with this one. Discipleship expands the glory of God. Notice he says, uh, go and make disciples of who? You can answer. All nations, I think one person can read, okay. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Then he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's something that that we need to connect to as the body of our, as we're moving forward, uh, what, what's going to be, t- a tendency is going to be is for us to just laser in on Crosspoint. What Crosspoint's doing and what's the vision for Crosspoint, right? And that's, that's okay. I think we need a direction. We need anything, but we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of uber-focused on that. But what I want us to see is that God's vision for the world is not primarily the bigness of the church, but the bigness of his own glory being manifested in every nook and cranny of the world. I'm going to read that again. That God's vision for the world is not primarily the bigness of the church, but rather the bigness of his own glory being manifested in every nook and cranny in the world. I guess if God had a purpose-driven statement, it would be Habakkuk 2.14. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's happening in many churches, we've traded the commission of go and tell to come and see. We've traded in the long view of missional expansion for an instant gratification of a microwave spiritual experience. And here's this, it's hindered our mission because it's led us to embrace an understanding of of evangelism that leaves the few experts being the ones that evangelize on Sunday mornings. We tell people, hey, we want you to invite your lost friends, the unchurched church, and that's what we, we do want this to be. And we, Crosspoint by Nature, has to be an invite culture. But when it comes to the commission and the mission of God, of his glory being spread upon the earth, if we have the idea that what happens is we just invite people here, come and see, the reality is, is that most lost people aren't going to walk through those doors, no matter how good our music is. If there's anything that's going to draw them, it's going to be the music. I can promise you that. No matter how good it is. The Sunday morning experience is not the primary place for evangelism. Outside these walls is. Maybe we would baptize more people if we discipled our people to share the gospel Monday through Saturday. Maybe the reason we make fewer converts is because we fail to disciple converts. A church with a killer worship experience isn't preparing for God's coming and his global takeover. Discipleship matters because God's purposes are greater than ours. God wants to grow our devotion to Christ, not just our little kingdoms. We've heard the quote uh, we've said it many times, if you focus on building the church, you very rarely will get disciples. But if you focus on building disciples, you will always get the church. So what does that mean for us? Three take-homes this morning. 
have three take-homes, and I'm going to have a few things, what it means for us as Crosspoint. I know some of you probably been itching like, all right, where are we going with this? Give us some kind of statement. Give us some kind of direction. We're going to progression, y'all. We've got to bring you on the journey. Here's three take-homes that I want to just leave you with. Number one, thank God for his church. Thank God for his community that he's given to us, uh, that he's called us to, to, to serve him together, to follow him together, to love one another. Number two, commit to his church. Commit to his people and commit to following Jesus. And the third is to ask God for his help and with desire and duty to walk with him and to know him, to walk in discipleship. Now for the church, here are some things that are going to happen for us. It's not going to be instant. This summer, we will start reconstructing and repurposing our small groups to better align by recruiting, training, and empowering leaders. I'm not saying I'm going to tell you that you got to stop going to your small group, but this summer we're going to take time and we're going to repurpose small groups. We're going to reconstruct. We're hopefully going to recruit new leaders uh, and actually begin to breathe new life into our small groups where we're aligning with this gospel-driven purposes. So this summer we'll begin to do that. Uh, number two, we will reconstruct and relaunch D groups this fall. Some of you loved D groups, some of you didn't like it. But as a church, we're going to. We I think we know what was hard for us to do, things that didn't happen uh, well, and so we're going to reconfigure those and we're going to relaunch those in the fall. We're going to start listen. We're going to start doing community driven events that are fun. Just, that doesn't sound real. No, I, I, we're actually going to hang out with one another again. We're going to do things and forget. I mean, COVID's COVID, but we're going to have fun. It's actually going to start on Easter. We've got a big surprise for you. I know some of you love this, and this sounds. We're going to have Easter outside this year, like we used to back in the day before I was here. We're going to have Ascend the Hill, and then we're talking about doing different events. And so we're going to begin to have community driven events that are, that are fun. And as this year progresses, we'll begin to focus on family-centered discipleship and become the forefront of everything that we do. The main discipleship unit isn't in that education space. It's in our homes. And as a church, that's where I want, I put the eggs, all of our eggs in the basket, is to help equip fathers and husbands to lead their homes spiritually. Uh, to to take husbands and wives and say, here, this is some material. This is ways we can help you serve your kids and lead your kids. We're going to actually start, uh, you know, we were thinking about, I guess I shouldn't do this. We're going we're gonna to begin to introduce a word called catechism. Say, Justin, I don't know what that is. It, is. it is a way to teach your kid truths about God's character and who he is by easy questions that you teach them the answer. As in, who created you? God created me. Why did God create all things? For the praise of his glory. What else did God create? God created all things. And so you begin, and so uh, we're going to we're gonna begin to catechize our kids. If you, you we, will catechize our kids and begin into this family discipleship. Because I read an article the other day, somebody's going to catechize your kid in 2021, it might as well be you. We're going to focus not to go, 
was it James Dobson, Focus on the Family? Is that who did that? We're not going American Family Radio or anything, Focus on the Family, but focusing on the family. A lot of things we're due from, from the rest of this year and from here in the future is going to be focusing in on family. We're going to have more Bible studies and training classes. You're going to get tired of hearing training classes and, and discipleship classes and Bible study classes. We're going to have more Bible reading plans. Continue to do that. And that's going to be within this, next, this year. In the next year and a half to two years, we're going to be, begin to rethink what we think and what does it mean. Uh, what does church membership look like? Is this something we should be very, very important to us, or is it, ah, you don't really have to covenant yourself to this group of people? When we begin to rethink those, we're going to begin to reevaluate our church polity, which means leadership, not just like me, Ryan, or Daniel on the chopping block reevaluating our leadership, but how we as a church say this is how churches should be ran and led. Is it a one-man show? Is it one guy who's the main pastor? Is it a plurality of leadership? Is it multiple leaders? Across it. So we begin to, over the next year and a half, two years, we're going to be shaping things up. No, I, I'm not building a, we're not building a build, new building yet. We're going to start with the invisible building first. Next week, join back with us. We'll talk about how the gospel drives our mission as the church. The mission to reach people who are far from God, to see them become kingdom catalysts, it's not rooted, it cannot be rooted in just a clever idea. It's gotta be rooted in the gospel and our God wants to change lives. That's our motivation. Pray with me, Father, we love you. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us. And I'm, I'm, I am thankful about where we are as a church, where we're headed. For some in here, it may not seem like that big of a deal for some of us it seems like it's the highest hill we've ever tried to climb but God I'm confident where you're leading us and where you're taking us God I thank you for people in my life who you place there for the sole fact of discipling me to teach me to instruct me to encourage me to push me. God, I pray that this community that we have here at CP, it, it deepens and it widens. It's not just a fun place to be, God, that it's a, it's a place to be where people are growing more in Christ-likeness. God, and as this culture of grace and as this community that's rooted and driven by your gospel when we come together on Sunday mornings the, the worship and praise should explode God I can't wait to be a part of this, this service three months, six months, three years down the road continuing to hear the praise of your people God, if there's anyone in here this morning who does not know you, God, you've made it evident and clear to them today that they're playing a game, a very dangerous game, a game that heaven and hell are on the line. God, I pray that today, God, that they will, they will repent and believe. 
God, for us in here who are followers of Jesus. God, God I pray that you, you, you give us a greater desire to, to follow you, to deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand. I'll be standing there on the front. If you want to come talk, if today God's calling you to place your faith in him, to believe in him, you're welcome to just come grab me and say, hey, I want to believe. If you need to make the front of this place a place where you pray, I do invite you every Sunday from here on out. If you want to come down and just pray for what God is doing in our church, that God will send a fresh, fresh breath of air for us. God will use us to make disciples. You move as the Lord leads.